been drinking green tea all goddamn day. Wow. Um, you sick? No, it was a hot rod oh. reference. Well, yeehaw, everyone, and welcome back to uh, another dish of salad. Um, I am Trent, joined here, as always, by Cole. How are you doing, Cole? Mm-hmm. Good. Ready to serve up some hot takes. Should be fun. Oh, yeah. Well, cold takes, really, because, I mean, a warm salad would just be a little off. But, uh, Oof, you, you know, lived. yeah, we're still learning. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've had a warm salad. Yeah, pasta salad, man. Like a warm pasta. Okay, pasta salad, <laughs> too. Or like a hot Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, that is also experience or or you go the other way you've got a frozen hot chocolate either way regardless of food that's not what you came for you came here for advertising um so let's go to that part of the salad word and uh let's dive in here um starting things off uh this week a lovely little campaign um from uh adam and eve ddb and um the initiative veg power um which uh might sound like you're trying to make a light bulb turn on but it's actually a really cool initiative in the UK to promote healthy eating and particularly vegetable eating among young kids. Um, so naturally, anything related to vegetables, we had to bring it on a podcast called Salad. Of course. Um, of course. It's in our mission statement, actually. Any vegetable related ads must be must be talked about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's also a mission <laughs> statement, which uh, WP Carey would be glad to know that we're using both. Um, let's see here. So yeah, to kind of talk about this ad, it it's it has this really counterintuitive premise, but it's actually really cool. So it's set up like kind of like a horror movie, um, where these vegetables are evil monsters who want to take over the world, and it it's just so adorable to watch. Like it's really well, you know, it's well shot, well animated. It feels like it's very realistic and it's just all these different vegetables are kind of crawling and rolling into the city. And then it pans to show that the adults have been waging this vegetable war for, for years, but they need the help of the kids. And the only way you can defeat them is by eating them. And so it's like, then shows all these kids <laughs> joining the fight, you know, to, them, to destroy them. And um, really like, is like, will you join the fight kind of a deal. Um, and it's, it's super cool. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's just such a very like beautiful, well-looking ad too to watch. And they're, they're essentially running it. The, this network ITV in the UK, which if mm-hmm. you're not familiar, you may know them from the hit show Love Island, which also runs on ITV in the UK, or at least it used to. Um, it's really what I'm binging on Hulu right now. We have a lot of Love Island fans here. Oh, yeah, a lot tonight. of Love Island fans in the audience too, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's the broadcast station, the initiative, and there's a lot of major UK supermarkets, and then Bird's Eye 2 is backing it. So it's kind of this collaboration between all these different stakeholders that are coming together for this really great initiative. And they're, they're putting mm-hmm. pounds of airtime across it for 12 weeks. So there's a lot of backing, at least from the media side, um, you know, and often you'll see broadcast mm-hmm. stations or even, you know, you know, the um, I forget what they're called, the ad network or whatever. Oh, ad council. You'll have the ad councils, or, you know, a specific you know cause too, and create advertising behind it. You know, in this case, it's the broadcast station. And um, it's really cool just to see um, this come together. It's also going to have some online social outdoor cinema ads and print activity. So, you know, and it was also, you know, one of them was like an eating chart that like rewarded kids with stickers too, or they eat vegetables, which I think is something we've all kind of had as kids too, where you had that sticker reward system. So it's obviously very younger audience focused, but I'm going to be honest too, as someone who doesn't eat vegetables that much, you know, I was like, damn, all right, I'll hop on this trend too. But yeah, I just thought it was a really cool way to, to just, you know, creatively encourage kids to do something. You know, in a time when you've got Facebook manipulating children into to buying stuff on uh, their apps, you know, and not realizing it's real money, you've got positive advertisement working to encourage kids to eat healthy. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think I think it's really cool to see, um, you know, it's something we don't really get so much here in the U.S. Um, you know, we've got a few kind of cool ad council ads. You know, there was that, I believe, wasn't it a Droga ad that came out last year about gun safety? It was pretty good. Um I think RGA in Austin did an ad council ad where it was, um, you know, love, love is something I love has no like distinction or something like that. Yeah, it was 
episodes, like the people go into the x-ray and, you know, they kiss and stuff and you see only the skeletons and then they come out and you realize it's like, you know, couples of different sexual orientations. So that was a really cool one too. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely cool to see these kind of, uh, you know, PSAs, these public service announcements kind of turned into really cool creative ideas. And I think one thing that we see kind of, you know, something that they can do in, uh, you know, the UK a little bit more that we can do here is kind of that integration of different kind of channels and platforms and things like that, you know, because there's more state run media there. um, They're kind of able to partner across those areas and get the message pushed out in, you know, kind of a broader way and maybe a way that we wouldn't have is we wouldn't be able to gain as much traction here so it's kind of neat to see them taking advantage of that and uh you know doing something really fun and creative and i think i think this is a really it it is a cool ad and it's you know it's kind of getting kids in on the action in a way and you know feeling like they are you know contributing and you know i don't know being a part of this this broader this broader thing this broader war on veggies so yeah that's super cool is in full effect um eat them <laughs> yeah and uh exactly just, i think it's a very strategic kind of thing too like you talked about it just is very smart in the way they're doing it and honestly too like if i was a little kid like it looks like something straight out of like a fantasy book i would have read or like a tv show i would have wanted to watch you know um so i think it was very well done to their audience you know we've seen places in the u.s do a good job like this too i think rpa has always done a great job with their um you know they have like their um, imaginary friends society which is you know, for kids dealing with, you know, diseases and stuff that are hard to understand, they've got these animated characters or their imaginary friends that talk to them too. It's always cool to see, you know, creative agencies that are, you know, usually pushing, you know, larger mass products and services to kind of, you know, narrow down and work on like a really powerful cause like this. So it's cool to see. And I think we've also seen, you know, companies like Apple do similar things where they try and relate to more cultural, important, emotional touch points in society. They did that in China recently, didn't they? You know, kind of Apple, uh, as we kind of know, has been having more trouble in China recently. And, um, you know, they've been having a little bit of trouble selling phones and things like that. Um, But they recently came out with their spot for the upcoming Chinese New Year. I believe the year of the pig is upon us here. Um, But basically... um, this is kind of something that they've done before in creating these kind of short films. You know, we all had, uh, there was that Spike Jones uh, Air uh, HomePod ad that we got last year that was really exciting, um, really fun, beautiful. And so they've kind of done the same thing with this uh, director in China, Jia uh, Jiangke, um, who has been, uh, he put out this, it's about a six minute spot. Um, it's really a short film more than anything. And it kind of touches upon the connection between children and their parents. And it kind of reflects upon um, sort of these bonds of family uh, as China's changed. So as we all know, China's gone through massive changes in the past 30, 40 years as they've rapidly urbanized and kind of brought people up out of uh, poverty in many ways. Um, but a tradition that kind of remains is um, when children leave home, their parents will send them with a um, sort of a food or some other sort of thing that kind of reminds them of home. And um, and so we have here uh, this ad follows a young man who brings this huge bucket. Um, his mother gives him a bucket full of uh, presumably food to carry with him on his journey. And so it's not really revealed until the end kind of what that all means. But basically, you learn the lesson that, you know, you always want to stay connected to where you're from, no matter the cost. Um, and it kind of shows that as he travels across the country. And kind of the big thing, the connection to Apple, at least, is that it's all shot on an iPhone XS. Um, so the entire thing is shot on that. And it... Uh, you know, it, it it looks it looks really good though. I will say, uh, and it's shot very well. Um, got a few drone shots in there, you know, but uh, pretty pretty impressive, pretty impressive stuff. Um, and kind of cool to see Apple trying to connect uh, to their audience on a more cultural level and see, you know, uh, kind of what's going on there a little bit deeper in a in an attempt to connect to that market a little bit more. So, right, yeah, I think. Um... It, it is really interesting. And I I think even the drone shots were actually iPhone XS too. I think they were just up in a helicopter. So it goes to show the um the extent of just how capable that phone is one. Um, you know, and there's there's interesting kind of behind the scenes videos too, where you know they talk about how he used the different functions of the camera, um, you know, like slow-mo and depth control features. And it just 
It is kind of crazy how much they fit in there. I remember one time I, I went into Antelope Canyon and it was before I had like a, like an actual DSLR. And so I was using my phone and one of the Navajo guides, like took me aside and was showing me how to do these different things with like the iPhone camera that I had no idea existed. And it was like, it's just crazy how much they hide in there that like, you can just really, if you know how to use it, you can just make beautiful work like that. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting too. Like you call it out, I believe they're competing with Huawei, right over there. Isn't that their main competitor? Yeah. Huawei has been one of the dominant players and Apple's lost market share recently just because their phones are quite a bit more expensive, um, among other things. Yeah. They're, they're really struggling over there right now. And I think it's an interesting play, you know, if you're going to be the more expensive competitor, you know, again, if you're looking at branding, um, you know, you have to have a reason for that. What, what can you call homage to and i think in china they're really trying to tap into that cultural touch point of family and the bond between family and especially in a modernizing a rapidly modernizing china i feel like there's probably many um people who feel like they're losing a little bit of their history or they're losing a bit of touch with you know uh, their background and i think apple here is kind of showing to the modern day version of, of, you know, family in China. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing to touch into. I know the first one, uh, Zach and I talked about, um, in season one of salad and that was just immensely, immensely popular too. And I think this one will probably follow suit. Definitely. And I think too, it reflects even their strategy that they kind of, you know, Apple has, you know, they've always been able to compete on high tech just because they always are innovating, but, you know, as kind of the smartphone market kind of levels out and it's harder to kind of create those high tech innovations that help you stand apart, um, you know, they really have to compete on high touch, you know, that emotional value, um, that emotional connection to the phone and to the audience. And so by putting out more ads like this, you know, they're able to kind of show that they're making those connections, um, especially in China, where a lot of the technologies that are available in the iPhone would be available in something like a Huawei phone, um, but for a substantially cheaper price. So um, I think it's their kind of play to move into that category a little bit more, especially in the Chinese market. So it should be interesting. Um, but yeah, we have a couple more creative pieces to talk about, don't we? You had uh, something else to, to say there, Trent? Well, you know, it's a little bit out of this world, um, if you will, but um, <laughs> Taco Bell and their agency Deutsch came out with another nacho fries ad that I just wanted to briefly touch on because um, I think it's an interesting just point about <laughs> how good creative can really uh, tap into a lot of different platforms. Um, so their latest ad talks about why nacho fries disappear you know and the business reason is that taco bell has a lot of different seasonal items and they want to continue to update their menu so it feels fresh to consumers right you know something as good as nacho fries you don't want to give it to them all the time because you, know, you can't give the people what they want all the time uh you have to keep like up. the McRib. yeah except <laughs> the McRib. um yeah it is it is like it um yeah, and the the the, the fourth of, or the St. Patrick's Day kind of uh, oh, shamrock shake. Gotta go get a shamrock shake. <laughs> I always go get one. I will say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a good alternative to blending up some lucky charms <laughs> with ice cream at home. So, uh, <laughs> but but back to the uh, back to the nacho fries. The other the other crazy food innovation. Um, you know, I think it just goes to show like it's it's funny how they tap into like, OK, we know consumers are upset about this. Let's have a fun, creative way to explain why. And so what they did is they kind of parodied a bunch of different sci fi films, uh, mainly Interstellar, which is one of my favorite movies ever, um, which I thought it was just kind of funny, too, to see the tie ins there. But essentially you have James Marsden is asked to go into space into like a black hole to uh, find out where the fries have gone and to retrieve them and bring them back home. And so they called it retrieval too, which is kind of a spinoff of like the, the sci-fi movie arrival that came out, I think with Amy Adams a, a year or two ago. Um, but it's just a funny kind of really <laughs> well shot parody, right. Of all these different films. And I think it just goes to show how if you if you understand your consumer and you understand what they're looking for and you build up a good brand personality or there's, you can kind of have some fun with it and, and, kind of play with your your consumers a little bit there and what's funny too is they've been told i guess in this interview i was reading they've been told that you know by one movie exec that their trailer ads are better than some of their trailer ads at an actual movie company right so 
then the question has become from fans, are they fans, are they going to make these ads, you know, like the web of fries and like this one now into actual movies and they're not considering it now, but then they're also considering in a sense. I think we've seen brands like Pepsi make movies as ads and Lego, which is coming out with another movie, you know, create feature films to run essentially as ads. I think it's just interesting too. And I think it shows like if you make good creative and have good strategy behind it, um, you know, you can really transfer it to any, any media. Definitely. And I think that, you know, we see that happening too, even with things like the Lego movie, um, for example, you know, that's, that's really essentially, um, you know, Lego got, uh, families to sit through an hour and a half long ad essentially um you know and there's a second exactly and there's a second one coming out in a few months that you know i'll probably go see too but um you know it's just kind of interesting to see how brands can kind of use their messing to kind of step beyond their normal sphere and i think that um taco bell's done a really good job with that you know they've always kind of gone to the viral ad well i remember this is like the case study we'd always watch in the marketing class but i remember too they brought like a freaking taco bell truck to some they choppered it into a, a town in Alaska that didn't have a Taco Bell. So they've really done, I think much like Wendy's, you know, they've done a good job of cultivating their brand personality. And now they've got a lot of leeway and flexibility in how they want to run their communications as a result of it. Um, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see too um, what brands do in this Super Bowl coming up. You know, you have companies like Coca-Cola now who's running an ad during the anthem, not during the game. And, you know, companies like Old Spice, which traditionally always advertised before the Super Bowl, not actually in the Super Bowl. And then you have brands that will shell out the millions of dollars to have a Super Bowl spot. So it's always kind of curious to see how brands will approach their media uh, placements there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now we have more more and more questioning, you know, of uh, TV and things like that, though. I mean, as we've kind of discussed before on the show, you know, we, we do feel that te- TV is really like still a tentpole to kind of hold up the rest of your branding strategy. So though there is probably still value in, uh, you know, adding a Super Bowl, I'm finding more and more ways sort of around it and ways to make waves without having to shell out, you know, $5 million for that spot. Um, so what we've kind of seen too is, um, for example, we see Lexus has um, created a kind of a fun campaign to kind of get around, you know, a football themed campaign to get around uh, advertising in the Super Bowl. And so what they did was um, uh, the agency team one, they actually created a uh, quarterback safety video. Um, so they're basically using uh, quarterbacks as an analog uh, for their new car, uh, the UX. It's basically a small SUV. And so to tout the safety features, um, they basically included um, similar features in their what they call their QBSS. So quarterback safety system plus. The plus. Mm. You mean the NFL referees? Exactly. No, I'm just anyway, come on. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, essentially, yeah, they've uh, created a series of ads with uh, Matt Leinhart. Um, he used to play for the Cardinals, um, among others. Um, and he uh, is basically showcasing some of their technology. There's like a blind spot awareness system where, um, you know, if a defender gets into his blind spot, then he drops into the fetal position immediately. Um, and it kind of plays on the whole thing that, you know, quarterbacks can't can't take the heat essentially and that, um, you know, they're kind of coddled by by the, the NFL, among other things. Um, and it kind of – the the highlight of it is a airbag system that <laughs> that actually is within his uh, his uh, uniform, and it busts out when a uh, defender gets too close. And uh, it, it was pretty funny, you know, kind of in cheek humor, to, um, but kind of a cool way to draw attention to yourself uh, and your product before the before the Super Bowl without having to without having to pay for the big spot. Exactly, and um, you know, it's always interesting to see. You know, again, what is the media strategy behind that? Um, you know, can you drum up big, big PR, positive PR from doing something like that where you tie into the big game without being in the big game? Or do you go for the big game spot? And uh, we sat down and talked to someone who had a little bit more insight about that. Didn't uh, yeah, we? exactly. So um, we sat down with uh, Grace Tang. She is actually the executive director of media and analytics at the agency Zambezi. And so we wanted to sit down and talk with her a little bit about the future of media and kind of how students can prepare themselves for the upcoming media landscape. So we'll take you to that now. 
All right, welcome back, everyone. We are here with Grace Tang. She is the executive director of media analytics at Zambezi, um, and so we're going to sit down and talk to her a little bit about media and uh, kind of the future of media strategy and where things are going there. Um, really excited to talk with her. She actually just won a Female Frontier Award um, as well. So uh, congratulations, uh, Grace, on that. Um, so maybe you just want to start <laughs> telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the executive director for media analytics at Zambezi. And it's pretty exciting here right now. I would say Zambezi primarily was a creative and production shop and they're expanding their media services. So what I'm doing here is actually providing them media and analytics. So how I look at it is it becomes like from a two-legged chair to like a four-legged chair in terms of offerings. It's just a lot more interesting to clients. It just offers them an array of services that they didn't have before. And quite frankly, you know, how advertising works or when advertising works best is when creative strategy media is all together in-house. It just is works better. The ideas are better. Um, internally, it's just a better experience. Uh, so I think it's actually a wonderful offering that we're now being able to provide. And so it's been really exciting. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Could you maybe give us a little bit of your background that's kind of put you in a position to lead this push into uh, media for Zambezi? Yeah, sure. So starting off, um, I went to UCLA. I actually was an econ major and I also programmed in college. And I would say, <laughs> unlike most of my friends who actually thought about the future, I did not. So I actually did a lot of informational interviews when I first graduated and finally realized like I wanted to go into marketing and advertising. So since then, I've worked in L.A., New York, D.C. I've been on the agency side, specifically in media. I uh, was actually in politics where I built the startup or I should say the infrastructure for two startups in Washington, D.C. That's political based, which is a completely different experience than New York and L.A., and then I went back to New York and I was working with a private equity firm in the turnaround business on the client side. Um, then finally, I decided I wanted to come back to L.A. and essentially found this opportunity with Zambezi. So what's nice is, you know, my background at this point includes like three of the major cities, um, just a number of different opportunities on the agency, sales, client, private equity turnaround side. And then oh, in politics, <laughs> you know, I can't forget that experience there. Um, and then I've also done five years of freelance. So I was consulting on my own for a number of years. And I also worked at a different, um, you know, like holding companies. So just a nice range of experience, I think, between the cities, sizes of companies, and then even being my own sole proprietor for a while. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. And so, Grace, I'm curious, too, you had kind of mentioned, you know, the, the two-legged chair versus the four-legged chair. Uh, you know, how would you kind of say media strategy, you know, shapes the creation of like, like an ad or a campaign? Um, how is it that when they're working together, it's um, leads to a better finished product? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. So, you know, I would just say in terms of media, first of all, the landscape has completely changed, right? Because of this little thing called the internet, like essentially how things are done is completely different. Just your ability to track, the ability you can see things. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, so the, the role of media is actually much more important than ever. Like there's more interest just in how it actually operates because you get all this information and because it's changing all the time. Media is actually at the forefront a lot of the times pushing the creative forward as to like what could be done. So like I would say what's super exciting here at Zambezi and which is one reason I wanted to come here is that um, we're actually using media to inform almost all of our new business and the way we actually look at creative period. So, you know, I would say a lot of times at different agencies, and there's a lot of great agencies, there's a lot of great creative everywhere, I would say, just in terms of like how people think. Um, but I think there's a science to like really looking at the numbers, looking at the data, working super closely with strategy and kind of using like a media led point of view to influence strategy and creative. Um, so we're actually incorporating that right now in terms of our new business. And so we're going to be calling it like a, a it's Zambezi's own like proprietary offering. Um, just because, you know, I would say a lot of agencies say they do that, but actually I take it back. We actually just talked to our new business person and she was saying that's actually not the position for a lot of agencies. So I think we'll be unique in that perspective, but more so than that, it's just, it's better internally. Like right now with our strategy, like our head of strategy, our head of, um, comms planning and myself, like when we get together, it's just really fun and interesting. And all these ideas come out and we can already see how the creative is just so much stronger. So 
I guess like a, the answer is really, it just makes the whole process better. And especially with the way media is right now in terms of digital, it's just more important to really know how media works. Um, because at the end of the day, that's like yeah, actually exactly. how you reach people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And it seems like now there's just so many more ways to reach people. Um, and you know, that just kind of muddies the waters in some ways and can make it more complicated, even though it does kind of give you opportunities as well. So with kind of the market becoming so diversified, how do you work to find the best fit for a client? Yeah, that's a, another really great question. And I think that's where strategy really comes into play, right? Like, and I mean, brand strategy in terms of you understanding the brand, but also like media strategy, like what makes the most sense for this client? Um, so I think, you know, A, looking at tools, right? I think always going into the research, like in terms of MRI, Simmons, et cetera, like really digging deep. Um, is helpful. But I would also say then that's where like intuition and just your, I guess, experience and gut feeling comes out as well. And um, you just have to really think through and you have to know more like as a media person. So my background includes traditional media. So TV, radio, newspaper, outdoor boards, et cetera. But I've really focused on digital within the past, okay. I would say maybe like 15 years or mm-hmm. so. Um, so because of that, I think I've more opportunities have been opened up to me just because I actually do understand search, social, pre-roll, programmatic, like streaming audio, all of that really well. And then on top of that, because I built infrastructure for two of the startups, like I actually understand the entire process from beginning to end because I actually made creative. Like I actually created a landing page. I actually created some ad banners. I think because of that experience, like I understand the digital ecosystem in terms of all the backend tagging and you know, all that. Um, so it, it gets actually kind of technical. So I guess to answer your question, I think, A, you just need to really understand how media works because until it's like hard to come up with a strategy if you don't really understand how all these different, mm-hmm. you know, different platforms mm-hmm. play together. Exactly. So I guess the answer is you just kind of have to, A, and really know media, have an understanding of the entire ecosystem for both media and then from a digital side. Like I find a lot of media people just go, oh, it goes to this right. landing page. But they don't think about landing page right. content because you know when mm-hmm. we're with a major holding company, like there's somebody to do mm-hmm. all of that, right? So there's not a, a lot of people I think who really understand how it all works all the way to analytics. So I think for those who are in school or who want to learn, that's actually a huge, huge plus. Um, so yeah, I would say probably yeah, and it's going to get more fragmented. So it's exciting, it's interesting. Oh, right. Like yeah. voice search is going to be mm-hmm. a thing for sure. Um, it's just a matter of, we don't know how it's going to work and how you optimize mm-hmm, that. Exactly. And, um, but you know, that's definitely part of the future. So just, yeah, I think just kind of seeing, mm-hmm. maybe keeping up with the trends as well is important. Gotcha. Gotcha. It seems like more so now, nowadays, you know, people are, people are kind of quick to write off certain platforms and things like that. But would you say that everything kind of has a place? Uh, for a brand or do you feel like it's kind of you know oh certain brands should only play on digital and some should only play on certain uh certain yeah so yeah these are all great questions i would say it's you just you have to find out like how to best reach your consumer right like i think when um tv was first invented everyone's like oh my gosh radio is going to be dead you know, and like when I think radio was first invented, everyone's like, oh, newspaper's going to die. And in fact, none of that has died. Everything just has continued. And I feel like it's the same way with the digital space, right? Like I still actually, I mean, personally, I love reading newspapers. I know it's, you know, clearly circulation has gone down. However, there is still a demographic that definitely reads it. So like knowing that, I think that's still a good place to be, you know? So I think you just have to use each one for its own benefit. And I think being smart about how to do that is mm-hmm. you know, really important. Do you think that that comes mainly from an analytics perspective then? Is that kind of where that uh, media meets that strategy to kind of push, push the creative? Um, you know, yes and no. I mean, sure. Definitely use analytics to the best of your ability, especially in the digital space. However, the digital space is only goes so far so, for example, like right now, you see all the tech companies. I mean, they are in the digital space, right? Like Facebook, Salesforce. Um, I guess both of those are slightly different examples yeah. due to why they're doing different media types. But you actually see them on TV now, mm-hmm. like Uber, Venmo. They're doing out of home, right? And why is that? It's because digital, at the end of the right. day, it does not capture the same mass type of audience that you would with television. And I feel like it's a little backward in some ways to say that, but all these tech companies are finding that you do get maxed out like at certain media types, right? So you actually do have to use mm-hmm. other ones. And the reason I bring up TV is because it's not as tracked as easily as you would be for digital. 
right? So I know a lot of people who yeah. do the traditional media, they're worried. They're like, oh my God, is this out of home billboard? Like, I don't know, like, what's the best in return? But Netflix just bought an out of home company, right? I mean, why is that? Because it's working. It's just not going to be as analytical as you would like it to be. So I guess my answer to that is yes, analytics can help, but I think you also have to realize that media, especially traditional, is not as measurable in the same way, but it's still effective. And you're just going to have to like trust in that. There's like brand studies that you can do to show lift overall. Um, but I do think there are going to be other mechanisms that you should look at. And I mean, ultimately there is that, this whole like gut feeling point of view. Um, not that I'm saying that like, you know, you need that all decisions should be based off of that, but I do think that plays into it. Right. So there's the human component. Cause you, if you look at numbers all day, we can get automated. But that's the thing is like we're not we take the numbers into consideration and then we take the human component into it. Exactly. And it it definitely seems that way because, I mean, like you were saying with these tech companies, you know, Facebook kind of messes up last year. And what do they do? They launch a TV campaign, you know, everywhere across the country. And then it seems like last year even too, out of home has kind of had a renaissance in a way. And it really does push brands to kind of think outside the box, I think, and kind of reconsider those more traditional kind of methods, which is, it's really interesting to see that coming back around. Yeah. And actually to your point, like, I think out of home is a really good example. Like I think as more and more people get digital based, I do think there's like a, and this is the human part of it, right? I think, I don't know about people being lonely, but people just not connecting as much in a human, like in a, in a face-to-face uh, experience because you're on your screen. Out of home and being like experiential and being in a place actually will be more and more important um, because we feel more scattered, I think. So, yeah, out of home actually has increased in terms of um, us media spending year over year in a positive way. And I think it's, it's mm-hmm. actually, it just is dictated by human behavior. And personally, like out of home is my favorite form just because I think it offers a lot of. Um, yeah. I think it offers, right? Like I love being in a really cool spot and then just seeing this awesome wall art. Like to me, that actually adds value and it, it you know, it's just beautiful. It's like thoughtful. It's well-created. So for me, I, I actually love out of home. It's, I think it's a lot yeah. of fun. Cole, Cole and I were talking about that earlier um, in January too. I think there's like a fast company article we were looking at and it was saying how I think a quarter to like a third of people who like view an out of home billboard or like a mural or something like that, then share it on their Instagram and, that can create so much more visibility for your brand as well. That is kind of interesting to see how like out of home has changed and how it can be effective too, like because of all these new digital kind of social tools. Um, so that's really interesting to see too. Um, I'm, I'm curious too. kind of, we, we talked about TV a little bit and voice, um, you know, what, what kind of channels do you see kind of taking off or becoming even more effective in the next five years? I know a lot of people have issues with TV because it's harder to track, but then there's, you know, like at and trying to set up Xander to increase visibility there. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on what will kind of have a resurgence here or be most effective next couple of years? Yeah. So, you know, I think the closest one is definitely mm-hmm. the OTT space, right? So essentially what OTT is, is just being able to watch video directly right. via the platform, right? So like Hulu, Netflix, um, I think that space will be really interesting because this year AT&T will be launching their own streaming service. Mm-hmm. Disney is going to be doing that. Um, so it's really going to be fascinating to see between Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, AT&T, Disney, and then maybe there's like a few others that are going to, you know, kind of come out on their own. And, and oh, I think NBC is another one. And see who is actually going to be... I don't, I don't want to say the winner in the right. space because there may be a few, um, but just to really see how consumers will decide as to like whether or not they will buy these bundles, right? And it's kind of like the cable concept all over again, but with OTT. Yeah, so I think it's very possible. Um, that could be really cool and different um, in terms of, I think, different advertising channels. I mean, just a lot of talk about tying yeah. offline sales and online sales. Um, it's really challenging for retail stores, right? To like, I mean, ranging from like J Crew to Hallmark or whatever, you know, like figuring out like who's buying what. Um, seeing now that Amazon has created their own stores, right? So they actually have, I think, two in LA that I've personally seen: one in Century City, oh, one wow. in uh, cool. Marine Del Rey, and then some in New York that I've been seeing. So it's 
I mean, obviously Amazon started off as, you know, like an online retailer. Right. However, they actually have storefronts now. And what are they selling? Books, ironically, at full price, which is like what they, mm-hmm. you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, but the difference though, in those stores, when you go and you see them, like they actually sell like top Amazon purchases as well. So like it might be like a wine cooler or a wine opener or, you know, so it's almost like not just the books portion of it, but like also, Mm -hmm. um, just what people like. Um, so I think that is really interesting. I also mentioned voice. Um, that's, I mean, with Alexa, with, uh, you know, Google home with all of that, uh, that's, that's a whole other area, especially with that one. I think is interesting because kids like my niece, she's oh, four right. and she's grown up with it. And she has yeah. a really cute voice like this, except for when she talks to Alexa, <laughs> I know, right. It's adorable. And then, except for Alexa, she's like, Alexa, like commanding, you know, like play Mary had a little lamb. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what's crazy. Like, yeah. So yeah, that'll mm-hmm. be that'll be. I definitely think it's crazy to see Amazon moving back into the book space. I know when I was back in uh, Portland over over the winter uh, over the last December, um, they have like their books arranged. Well, they'll have a, a top Amazon seller where it'll say, you know, if you like this, then check out these ones, mm. and they have four books to the left or the right of it that are in a similar category that's set up just like the site. Um, so I think that's super interesting, and definitely with all of this smart home integration. Uh, you know, it seems like you're going to have more and more access to people's kind of daily lives a little bit. Do you see that that infrastructure is growing as much as people say within the next five years? Or do you think that it's kind of, you know, people are going to be a little bit more leery to that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to grow. I think it's exactly. just easier mm-hmm. to have than to not have, right? Like I have a smart TV. I just bought one is Sony um, and it has Google assistant included. So I actually don't need a Google home because it's in my TV. Um, You know, Samsung, they've talked quite a bit about connecting your washer, dryer, um, refrigerator, right? TV, since a lot of, they've really done a good job of um, growing in that space. And the idea is it's all uh, tied. It could be tied into an app with your ID. Um, they've talked about running ads. There's already ads on like Samsung TV. Oh, they wow. talked about putting on the refrigerator. And so I think the home space will continue to grow. Will people be creeped out? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Is it creepy? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Exactly. Bit, you know? um, yeah, but I think the convenience of it will outweigh the privacy issue for better or for worse. And I just think there needs to be, I don't know about laws, but there definitely needs to be some sort of regulation as to like, you know, making sure people are right. definitely. Are and I mean, with protected. that uh, California state law coming in and then GDPR overseas, you know, I think probably over the next five to 10 years, we'll see maybe some, someone in, uh, you know, Washington takes notice of that. Um, but yeah, we'll kind of see. So, you know, with all of these new kind of platforms and things entering the space, um, how do you think that students that are kind of looking to enter media or looking to enter even just the ad industry should kind of approach media or, how should they kind of uh, look to view those things? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me think. So I guess if I, I would think a just staying on top of the news, like for example, I listen mm-hmm. to wall street journal tech, the podcast, it's really quick. It's like five minutes, maybe even not even that. I listen to that every day. That's just mm-hmm. really helpful about like what's happening in the space. I think so. I would say a like read up on it just in terms of news um, B, if you want to do this as a career, I would recommend getting like an internship or meeting people who are in the industry just to talk to them to see if that's something you're interested in. Um, that was actually, I think, the defining moment for me was, you know, A, figuring out that I wanted to be in marketing and advertising. Um, just from my neighbor, he asked, he's, he actually worked at Shia Day, which is a natty computer in LA. And he, um, was he just spent right. half an hour with me to just talk about the industry and I just loved it. So then I, once I was like, okay, I want to be in advertising. Then I, you know, then I found out I, there's like account, there's creative, there's production, there's, you know, digital, there's media. And then when I talked to media, people were like, Oh, actually what I liked about it is that you have to be good you have to be mm-hmm. an, with numbers. I mean, you have to be good with numbers. You have to be very analytical mm-hmm. and you still have to be able to present and still be really be able to communicate that with people. So I love the fact that I could be analytical, which uses my strength there. And I have to be personable because you have to still, you know, be able to sell this into clients. So I like the mix of those. So I think 
Um, Mm -hmm. If you have those skill set, that's a good way to start in media. Um, Yeah. And I would say really is talking to people at the end of the day, people is people are going to make things happen for you. Sure. You can send in your like cover letter and resume. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely works, but um, make your own connections. You know, I think that's the best way of going about it. Just talk, just try and meet as many people as you can and try and find right. people who are in advertising. And, and I think in a similar, similar kind of vein there. too, we've been asking this to a couple of different people we've talked to. And I'm curious for your thoughts too. Um, you know, what is something kind of you've learned now as you've been working in this industry um, that you kind of wish you knew when you were starting out? Gosh, there's so many things. Um, mm-hmm. I think ultimately... For me personally, like if I could tell my younger self, like, um, I think it would just be like, you know, keep on the track that you're at. Like, I think when I was younger, I had a pretty, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I had an idea of what I could do. Um, I knew I wanted to be in advertising. I knew I wanted to be in media. Um, yeah. And I, I think I was very stressed about getting promoted because quite frankly, like I, you know, with my, my, my parents are immigrants and like, we needed the money, you know, like I have two younger brothers. Like I, I didn't have time to like, you know, see what I, what I wanted to do. So how do you mirror the, the ambition of somebody who wants to do what she loves? Like, you know, in terms of passion and thinking this industry is interesting and just having to make money, right? Like I will say this industry in the very beginning, it's difficult. It is, you know, you definitely get paid lower than if I was a consultant or iBanker or whatever, you know? Um, And I was really focused on getting promoted and, or or maybe not getting promoted, but just really, I think, worried about it. And I think if I could redo it, but just not be as stressed. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I think that's probably what I would say to myself. And also like in the past, I think the other thing is I tried to plan out like a 10 year plan. Like, I don't know. I I don't think it's really, it's, I mean, sure. You can have an idea, Um, but I think just try and plan within the next like year or two years, you know, and I know people say, what's your long-term vision. That's what you have to go for. But it's tough when you're younger, right? I feel like if you see different opportunities, feel free to take them. Yeah. Um, because sure. Why not? You know, another thing I think I would have learned, but I wouldn't have learned it until I went through it is, um, there were definitely some really difficult positions I was in in difficult, um, just difficult times. And, at that time I kept like doubling down, right. Just because of my personality, like I'm going to slug it through. I'm here for a reason. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And it kind of didn't, it did. And sometimes, and it did, it was just very, very volatile, the whole thing. And, um, I think if I was to go through that again, I would not, I would just leave. I would leave that situation. Cause I know there's a lot of other opportunities where I can be around passionate people, like-minded people who are good to people who are profitable, who want to do the right thing, who want to do really great work, you know, and I think I was around people who didn't necessarily have the same business uh, principles as me. And it was just difficult, like, because at the end of the day, we had different goals. The way decisions were made were different, you know, and I believe in long-term growth. I believe in, um, yeah, I, I just, but there's a lot of like strong principles that I believe in the way to be a business person and a leader. And um, I think by surrounding myself with people who think that way is like really important. So another lesson for myself, if I'm ever in that situation, I would leave. Cause I feel like at this point, my skill set's strong enough where I'm not beholden to a job. Like, um, you know, I can, I just have options, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point to bring up. And it, it's always tough when you find yourself in a situation like that. Um, but I think like you're saying, it ties back to the, the benefit of really putting yourself out there and getting to know a lot of different people, finding mentors, doing informational interviews. It really widens kind of your network where you can you know, reach out to other people when you're in a situation like that and kind of see what things are like in other situations. And, and you know, that helps you make your decisions too as you're moving forward. So I think those are both great points to bring up. Yeah. And I think the only caveat I would make with that is I do think like early on in your career, like you have to put in time, right? Like there's a number of situations I wasn't happy about in my, in my younger years. Um, but I slugged it through, right? And I'm not saying that that's the you know advice for everybody. Um, but when I was older and I had more options, like I didn't have to go through that again in the same way, you know. Um, so I, I think it is finding that balance between, like, you know, look, there's going to be opportunities you just aren't happy with. It's just how it is. But 
um, I think finding the balance and just learning to know who you are and knowing about yourself, um, I think is definitely, and I feel like that's the, the really the only way to be passionate about something and create, you know, authentic work that's going to be really resonate with people. So I totally agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, actually somebody, I think I was at a team one event where they had listed out something for college students, because I think people do talk about, you know, living your passion and being passionate, which I do agree with. At the same time, they had like a four caveat thing, which is like, A, are you passionate? B, um, is this help fulfilling a need within society? C, is this actually using utilizing your own personal strengths, right? Just because you're passionate, if you're not good at writing, for example, I realized I wasn't the best writer, like probably <laughs> reporting wouldn't have been the best avenue yeah. for me, even though I looked into it. And then the last one is like um, financially, like are you able to sustain yourself financially with this career? And I think you know, I think when you think of it as like a four prong type of thing, I think that makes it a little bit more even because I do believe in passion. I do believe in doing things you love, but I also believe that you have to, like, it's not the only thing you have to kind of you know, look at the other things and give it some sort of context. Exactly. In the same sense that, you know, I'd love to be an astronaut, but you know, maybe my <laughs> science skills weren't quite as strong yeah. as I might've needed, you know, or, you know, I don't know how to fly a jet. So no, I, I think that's, I think that's incredibly important, especially when people, a lot of times will just say something like follow your dreams, but you know, it's important to be realistic and, you know, realize also too, where you're able to make the most impact. And yeah. the most so I think, I think it's super important. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. And so uh, kind of just to wrap up here, we'd like to kind of end with a question. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, pod, the Wall Street Journal podcast before, but are there any other books, uh, you know, videos, content that you would recommend to students, people looking to get into the industry, things that you thought were super cool, um, anything like that? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this. I mean, I'm personally reading just Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and that's just mm-hmm. an awesome book in general, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think for me, reading about people who I admire um, and just kind of hearing about their background and how they got to where they were is pretty cool. So I guess it's not so much like specific ones. I think you should just read things that you find interesting. Also, if you're interested in media, like I actually like reading um, mm-hmm. just all different types of magazines. Like if it's in front of me, um, I just will glance at it because – you know, I think just like essence or time or popular mechanics, like it doesn't really matter, like just kind of because it basically just brings you into like a whole nother person's world. So I just think just consume content that you think is interesting. And if you really like media, you'll probably just want to know about other people in general, right? So just the curiosity. Um, But if you want specific things, I mean, you know, I do read the New York Times Um, for balance. I am looking at Fox News as well. Um, but you know, you know, I think just regular news from that perspective is good. And like I mentioned the podcast, um, I think wall street journal tech, the daily from the New York times, I don't listen to that all the time, but I think that's another good one. Um, so yeah, I think ultimately just whatever inspires you, like I was reading, um, daring greatly by Benet Brown. That's another really great book. That's more internal, maybe self-help ish if you want to go down that route. But I think it's just like, the more you're able to just expand your mind and being curious about different things, I think that's just helpful. Definitely. And I think honestly, that's one of the most important things. Cause if you're not, you know, learning about the things that you, you find interesting, you know, it's just such a slog, but, and I love your point too, about, uh, you know, finding balanced sources, you know, kind of weighing one side with the other, I think is extremely important, especially these days. And, uh, also just looking at a magazine, I feel like once you kind of have been in the media landscape or even just advertising, you know, you look at ads so much differently and uh, it can be so much more exciting. So, yeah. Um, well, that uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. Um, unless you had anything else you wanted to say, um, I think I think we're, we're pretty much good here. But thank you again for coming on. Um, really great to talk to you, you know, about the future of media and kind of um, where you think the industry as a whole is heading. So thanks again, Grace. Yeah, of course. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having Mm -hmm. me. Hello everyone. Um, so wow, that was a, this really interesting, great interview with, uh, Grace Tang and great to hear her insight into media and kind of where everything's going in that regard. And I think it, it really rings true that, you know, integration is kind of the future in so many different ways, just because you have so many different platforms, um, that, you know, you're available to talk to or talk to uh, your audience on now. And that, you know, taking advantage of all of those and using them together is really going to be one of the best solutions. Um, what did you kind of think from that trend? Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with Grace. Um, 
I think she had a great point just about, as you kind of touched on here too, uh, integration of the media department with the rest of the agency. Um, Because I have been in some meetings where, you know, you'll talk about creative and you'll make creative and then you'll go to the media team and we don't have the budget to do the creative that we had created. You know what I mean? Or we'll go to the media team after the creative is already decided upon and then they have an idea for a really unique way to to use media to target certain consumers. And it's like, oh, shoot, we should have planned for that because that's a great idea. And I think it just goes to show, as with any department, the more you can break down silos in an agency, the more you can increase communication, the better. Because when you have when you have people who know media so well working with people who can think of creative ways to use it, I think it, it really creates this better synergy as we've talked about in the past. Um, and so I thought that was a great point to bring up. And I was really intrigued by your thoughts on OTT and all these different media platforms. Definitely. And I think it, it definitely speaks to that, um, that idea of an open agency. And, you know, that cross collaboration is really so right. integral and so important moving forward um, in order to take, you know, the most advantage of all of your resources and all of the platforms that are available now. You know, it, it becomes a challenge of, you know, deciding what not to do when there's so many uh you know, there's so many places that you could be talking to consumers. And so I think it really speaks to the value of having, you know, everyone present in the conversation. So definitely. And I think as we heard too, TV is still alive and well. It's interesting to see how, you know, even radio is too, as Grace touched on. It's it's always interesting to see how, you know, these mediums, these platforms aren't really dying, but they're just again evolving in how they're used and they're finding their their own niches for for the marketing campaigns um which is pretty cool Mm -hmm. for sure yeah um well i know too speaking of media as we talked about earlier in the show we're we're both excited to see uh the biggest day in advertising aka the super bowl uh coming up this weekend um you know cole do you have a super bowl pick just curious um, you mean ad or a team? Yeah, we'll we'll decide on our ad picks afterwards. But um, I'm gonna take the Rams. I mean, it's it's hard to yeah, you, you got root for the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There's yeah. no, I don't think there's much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think the Rams. I think the Rams have a solid shot. Um, and I mean, and a success story in and of themselves. I think too. So, yeah. And before we turn into my second side hustle, aka dreaming up a football podcast, we're going to <laughs> sign off for today. <laughs> but I uh, just want to thank you all for tuning in and listening again. Um, we're going to start uh, integrating more into our social platform as well. So check us out on Instagram at salad underscore podcast mm-hmm. and give us a Exciting follow stuff. on whatever platform you're listening to. And um, yeah. Excited to, uh, to, to be back again next week and um, excited to see all these great ads this weekend. So signing off from Tempe, good night, everyone, and thank you again. Mm-hmm. Have an ad-tastic week, everyone.